Hello and welcome to this edition of Deeper. It is so good to have you with us and it's also really good to have Rob with us. Hi Rob, how are you doing? Good afternoon or good evening or whenever you're looking at this. I'm doing absolutely fine. Feeling a lot happier after yesterday's result. That's right. Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, this is because just after Liverpool won yesterday and got third place in the uh, the Premiership, which is good for us. Uh, so anyway, let's move on. So Rob spoke on Sunday. Uh, I would encourage you to, to watch the talk if you've not already done so. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel uh, for Sunday, the 23rd of uh, May. It is still May, isn't it? It is May. Um, so do please watch that. Uh, and what we'd love you to do now is actually to read the passages that you talked about. But what we're going to suggest is that you eat a bit more, just so you get the whole story of Stephen, because um, that's what Rob was talking about, uh, Stephen, the one of the first leaders in the church. And we'll talk a bit about that later. So what we'd encourage you to do is read the whole of uh, Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. Um, It'll be, you'll get the whole story then, the whole picture of who Stephen is, which I think is really important. So press pause, read Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 now, and then restart the video. Fantastic. So uh, we're not actually going to talk about every single verse in those uh, uh, chapters. We'll just focus on the, the two passages that Rob spoke about, which was uh, Acts 6, 1 to 5, and Acts 7, 54 to 60 which is uh, the beginning of Stephen's story and the end of Stephen's story. Um, so, Rob, is there anything you want to say as a kind of introduction to this before we get into it verse by verse? Um, the, the setting of this is, is about five years after Pentecost, the, this story. Uh, the nice little quirk in Acts, which helps you with your timelines, is that Acts, uh, Acts 1 is, you know, at the, the time of Pentecost, Acts 5 is about five years after Pentecost. Acts 10 is about 10 years after Pentecost. And Acts 20 is about 20 years after Pentecost. So it helps you with your time planning. So we're just, just beyond five years after Pentecost, the actual setting of this story. Yeah, great. And, so, and the disciples are all still in uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. They haven't obeyed the, the commandment of, of Christ. They're still in there. And they're still uh, just talking to Jews. They're not uh, going out and preaching to, to, to Gentiles at this point in time. But that's the backdrop. So let's uh, start to go through it verse by verse. Let me just uh, open up my Bible here. Um, so uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Um, but, sorry, verse 1. Uh, what, what strikes you there, Rob? Anything that you want to pick up on? It's interesting that, you know, no growth comes smoothly. You know, with growth, you get, guess what, growing pains. And and the church was growing, and it was getting growing pains. There was two main groups in the church. There was the, the kind of Greek Jews, and there was the Israeli Jews, or what, you know, they, they call it the, the, the Hebraic Jews. And they were getting a bit cheesed off with each other, the the, the the, the non-Jewish Jews from background were feeling a little bit left out, feeling like they weren't quite as important or getting a, a fair deal. And that's what's been brought up at the start of this story, you know, the, the, the complaining against the Hebraic Jews by the Grecian Jews. Yeah. That's, that's verse one. I think it's, uh, it's one of the things I read about here, which is actually quite interesting, is that 
uh, a lot of the the non-Hebrew Jews, the the the, uh, the um, Grecian Jews or the Hellenistic Jews, uh, quite often they would uh, retire back to Jerusalem. Um, so these were normally wealthy Jews, and of course, if they're retiring, that means they're old. If they're old, that means usually the men die first. That seems to happen and has continued to happen uh, to this day, uh, leaving lots of widows. Uh, so there would have been quite a lot of Hellenistic widows uh, that needed feeding. Uh, the other kind of little dynamic is that if they were moving back to Jerusalem to retire, that probably meant they were wealthy. Mm. So perhaps what you have is, uh, and this is this is a little bit of you know using imagination, is wealthier people moving to Jerusalem, contributing to the church, but then not getting out of the church what they thought they should do. That would cause tension, wouldn't it? You know, that's that's the kind of tensions we see in today's church. We do see that, but it's also, I mean, the the mindset, you know, right or wrong, but we still see it. We get people complaining today, church isn't giving me what I want. Yeah. You know, they, they don't have the attitude of serve, service. They have the attitude of give me my my needs. Uh, I was just listening to somebody t- today uh, uh, talking about the, the the balance between rights and responsibilities, and this this person was was complaining that in the twenty first century we talk too much about our rights and not enough about our responsibilities, and it's taking up our responsibilities, taking up our cross in that respect, which actually develops us as people and makes us the people that God needs us to be. Exactly, exactly, and you know one of the one of the things that's clear as well is that whole idea of what it means to to look after the widow and the orphan uh, was taken on very early by the church as something as part of their family life, but continued to be a problem for quite a long time. Uh, So in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives Timothy instructions about feeding widows. So this is some time later. And he's putting restrictions on, you know, so if the widow's got kids, the kids have to look after their mum, you know, Um, it shouldn't be the responsibility of the church. So the, he's, there's restrictions being put on how they help simply because the demand was great. But it's, it was a massive area uh, of, of concern. This, this looking beyond yourself. And uh, James, who became the main man in the church, James in the early church, you know, the brother of Jesus obviously had that great lineage, very helpful, but he became the, the authority in the church. And in James, uh, he he in his letter of James chapter one, he sums up religion or you know Christianity. And he said, "What is Christianity? He said, it's this: is live a righteous life and look after the widows and the orphans." And you just think that is a an unbelievable summary. Yeah. You know, who, who would ever think that up as a summary of Christianity? Yeah. But but James, it was such an important thing of yeah, be pure, but look beyond yourself. Yeah. Take yeah. care of those in needs. That that is the, the symbol of Christianity. I, I find that really provocative. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's in there because it, there's no way that that you would think that would be the uh, the simple summary of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's only about the kind of summary of how we live, isn't it? I think the other thing I'd want to pick up on is, as, as you said before, you know, uh, a growing church is a messy church, isn't it? And um, uh, but the the Greek word here where it says you know in those days the number of disciples was increasing, 
the kind of the Greek word actually implies multiplying. Mm. And uh, in, in pretty much every chapter up until now, it says the Lord was adding to their number. At this point, it's multiplying. Yeah. The kind of exponential increase of the church at this point. Uh, so it's no wonder that they're having problems. But yeah. uh, you'll actually see now from, from this point on, uh, when it says the Lord's was increasing church, it's the more the multiplying thing, not the adding thing. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's been quite a lot of talk recently about, you know, as a church now, we need to not just aim to add to our number, we need to multiply. Um, yeah. But there is a, just an interesting little thing there that there seems to be a shift at this point. They weren't just growing a bit, they were growing exponentially. They were, they were, they'd become a movement that gathered papers. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to uh, verses two to four. Um, so we've looked at a little bit of the issue, and now yeah. we get to uh, the the apostles' answer here. And clearly, they've already had a discussion at this point, haven't they? It looks like the apostles have sat down and said, "What are we going to do about this?" Uh, yeah. And their answer isn't, "Well, we will sort it out." Uh, their answer is, "Let's find people to do it." Uh, so, what I do you give them authority? Sorry, say that again. What do you see in those verses? Um, I, I, for me, I think this this is the beginning of of the diaconate and about the you know, deacons. You know, which we get expanded upon in Titus and Timothy, we get a lot more instruction about church leadership, the the spiritual leadership of the church, and the the practical leadership. Uh, and and these seven guys are. are, are the, the word the word that's put in there for, for waiting on tables is is a, a word that means ser- serving, which is the same root word as, as deacon. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly the, the, the same, same word. But for me, uh, the biggie is the criteria for for practical ministry isn't that you're dead practical; it's that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and and that's to me very very provocative. That. Yeah, we want people with practical skills, but the most important thing is is that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and in this case, it says and wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, dealing with people, dealing with that situation of a whole lot of bickering and moaning and complaining, the key things they needed wasn't the ability to to be a top quality chef. It was Holy Spirit and wisdom. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. And you know the the um, the thing I, I I like around that is that they put the Holy Spirit in and they add in the wisdom bit as well. It's like you have to be deeply connected to the spiritual side of stuff and the work of God and the work of the Spirit in you. But wisdom is a more of a kind of outward relational thing. Yeah. So it's kind of both horizontal and vertical. And um, yeah. they're looking for people who who aren't just godly but can actually actually relate to people and talk to people and be wise in their decisions. You know, it's, it's a, both of those things that are important. There's also another thing which I think is uh, interesting for church leaders, which is understanding two things. One, your limitations, and two, delegation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 12, the 12 apostles, you know, there's this line, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. It'd be very easy for them to say, and I touched on it a little bit in the sermon. Are, are they too full of themselves? 
Is this what beneath them? You know, or is it the fact that they understand their role and their skill set and the needs of the church and therefore are happy to delegate with authority? I think delegation with authority, I think a lot of church leaders delegate with string, yeah. uh, which causes lots of problems. Exactly. I mean, the, these guys, uh, as we see in the moment, there's seven of them, they are given the responsibility. They're not told what to do. They're given the responsibility to make it happen. Uh, and the thing that, you know, uh, the whole thing about being full of the Holy Spirit is one of the gifts of the Spirit is administration. Yeah. Yeah, and probably these were guys who could organize stuff and make things happen and get food to the right people at the right time. Um, and they were given complete reign to be able to do that under the authority of the apostles. Yeah. But they were given the responsibility and authority just to press ahead with it. And as you quite rightly said, the apostles understood their role. And, yeah. and for me, that's the body of Christ working together. Well, I think that's really important for church members. Church members, well, all of us, let's be honest, but all of us, but you, you, you hear it more as church leaders. But for church members to, to realise that, that no leader will be the perfect leader who can, who can do everything. And you always hear, oh, yeah, our minister is no good at preaching or no good at pastoring or no good at administration or, or, or whatever it is. In a new case, it'd be all of that. But you know what I mean? And and uh, I, and, and yeah, my response is, yeah, well, yeah he's, a, he's a guy or he's a woman. He's, you know, what, what do you think we're, get, we're getting here? You know, you know, look at what you have got and delegate. You know, that's the key thing. You know, and, and not not feel embarrassed for whoever you are as an individual. To say, yeah, I've not got the the, the full set of, of skills here. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm called you know Rob, not Jesus here. That's right. And well, I mean, you you know as well as I do that you know most people do expect certainly within the Church of England vicars to be able to do everything. Of course, the moment you try and do more than you're equipped to do, you're doing something that you're no, you're no good at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're not gifted in, that you've not been anointed for. Uh, and the moment you start doing that, then the, the church suffers. Yeah. You, know, you find people who are good at those things, who have been gifted those things, and you set them free. That's what it means to be the whole body of Christ, that people find their place and they're given the authority and the freedom to live with that and to do what they're called to do. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what we see here. And, um, and I, I, you know, the, 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 I love the idea that they were, they were called to serve. Yeah. And in many ways, that's what we're all called to do. You know, whether it's leaders or whatever, we are all called to serve. That's our priority that we're here for, to serve. And so they choose seven. Yeah. Um, we don't know why seven particularly, um, yeah. but they choose seven. Uh, and what we see in verse five is that they all have Greek names, yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? Well, very wise um, from the leadership, you know, which is a good compliment. You know, leadership some sometimes can be wise. You know, they they appoint seven, you know, at least Greek descendancy, if not Greeks, you know, to uh, to come in to show there's no bias here. To show that they recognise the issue and we resolve this issue, and obviously these people would be accepted by by the, the, the Grecian Jews. That's right. Yeah. So should we move on to? Um, actually, no. Before we do that, verse seven is really interesting, isn't it? Uh, 
I don't know if you look. So this conflict, uh, the apostles step in, make a decision. They set these seven free. And then verse seven says, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplies rapidly. Yeah. 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 So that, that's just like an interesting kind of postscript to what happened here. The body- and we've got some priests. We've got some priests becoming Christians. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what happens when people are set free to do what God's called them to do. The church is going to grow. Yeah. So let's move on to um, chapter seven, verses fifty-four to sixty, which was the second part of uh, our readings for Sunday. Let, let me just give a, a twenty-second summary of the seventy verses that were jumping. <laughs> uh, so basically, Stephen comes to the attention of, of the leaders because he's he's a, a gracious, holy guy, and the Holy Spirit pours out of him, and and they, he gets charges trumped up against him that people lie about him. And he's hauled before the high priest to see what's going on. And he gives a massive sermon, virtually the whole lot of chapter seven is his sermon. And at the end of the sermon, where he really pulls together the, the history of Christianity in the Old Testament, at the end of it, he then just lets them have it with both, with everything. He, you stiff-necked people, you yeah. uncircumcised heart. He just has a, 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 it seems a bit out of character in many ways, but he just has a go at them. And they end up being furious. And they hung about. Yeah. And that's where we're up to in the reading. Yeah. And you know what I like about it is that, that it's hard to describe. It, I, the preach, the sermon, the talk, the, the accusation he, he makes is he, he highlights all the areas in the Old Testament where, where basically the Jews uh, turned their backs on God and said, basically, you're just like that. You're turned, you've turned your back on what God's doing today. And yeah. that kind of gets them going. Um, so uh, Stephen is brought before the Sanhedrin. And um, and what we have here is uh, the Sanhedrin response. Uh, they're furious. They gnash their teeth. Uh, all that kind of stuff. You don't gnashing of teeth. That's right. You all love a bit of gnashing of teeth, don't we? <laughs> uh, and uh, just so you know, I mean, the Greek word furious, though, is, is actually cut. They were cut to the heart. So it kind of implies the furious because something struck true. Yeah. You know, that's the, what I was uh, talking about in the sermon. If you have looked, yeah. have looked at the sermon, you know, that, 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 when it hits your heart, it causes one or two reactions. You know, it's either conflict and you reject it and, you know, or, or you deflect or you allow it to come in and you, and you, you can ponder it. They were cut to the heart and they decided to go for the rejection option. <laughs> and literally went for the juggler. Uh, and then 55 and 56, uh, Stephen, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, yeah. looked up to heaven and heaven's open for him. And he sees this picture of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Uh, and we were talking before, when we, but we both get emotional at this story. Yeah. It's powerful, isn't it? And we don't know whether this was a, a vision or whether it was reality. I don't, I don't think it's important, but I, I would like to think it's reality. I don't see any reason why it can't be reality. Uh, and in many ways, whether it's real or a vision is unimportant. You know, the yeah. fact well, of him is exactly the same. And also, who says a vision isn't real? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you make an important point in the sermon that, 
Jesus is standing and not sitting. Yeah. Why is that important? Well, it's just it's just important. I mean, in some ways, it's not necessarily important. It's just it's never ever recorded anywhere else in history of this picture. Now, for those who don't know, Stephen, it's a little bit of a, you know, want to tell you the end of the story here. Stephen gets killed, and he's the first martyr. He's the first recorded Christian martyr. He's the first person who has died because he stands up and says, I follow Jesus Christ. And maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's because of the purity of his heart. But this is the only occasion that's recorded where Jesus leaves that position of being seated sitting at the right hand of God the Father in glory and stands up to receive Stephen. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the, the image, uh, for me, what's going on in, in the heart of Jesus Christ at that point in time, that, the, you know, his, his child, you know, who he loved and died for. And, and you know, may, may have actually known Stephen. You know, we don't, we're not sure, so I'm not saying that's certain, but there's no reason why he couldn't have known Stephen. Um, it stands there and, and in phenomenal humility and grace uh, you know mimics Christ on the cross and once again I, I, another reason why, why I say it was before you know the, what happened with Christ on the cross Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing wasn't written down anywhere at this point in time you know the, 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 the gospels weren't written down for about another 30, 40 years you know you know so it's amazing that Stephen virtually says that, you know, that the same words, Lord, do not hold us in against them. Uh, maybe he, he was there observing the, the death of Christ. We don't know. It was only, you know, six years previous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just an emotional charge, a little uh, insight to what happened at his death. Yeah. And, and at that point, when he, talk, when he says what he sees, uh, that's the kind of turning point, isn't it? Because at that point... Uh, then they cover their ears and yelling at the top of the voice, they rushed at him. Yeah. And, and in saying what he said or saying what he saw, uh, basically saying, you know, you were wrong about Jesus. Everything that he thought yes. about Jesus, that he was a heretic, a blasphemer, all that kind of stuff. What I'm seeing now proves that you guys were wrong about him. So it's no wonder that at that point yeah. they, they rush him and start to stay. He's basically declaring Christ to be the Messiah, in, you know, in black and white phraseology, in no uncertain terms. Yeah. And he knew, I mean, he already knew they were furious. And then what he does was just push, push it again. <laughs> they were already gnashing their teeth at him and, 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 and yeah, and were furious. And then he says, oh, by the way, guess what I can see just now? Yeah, exactly. There's a little slide aside in there where uh, everyone lays their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul to become yeah. Paul. Um, and then and then it says right at the end, which is the bit that always gets me, when he said this, he fell asleep. Yeah. And um, we were talking a bit about this before. You know, that idea of him falling asleep is, is in, in biblical language. He died, but we know that he doesn't stay dead, that Stephen is resurrected at the end and he will open his eyes and he will still see Jesus standing in front of him saying, you know, well done, good and faithful servants, come and enter into the joy of your Lord. Should we um, move on to some implications and applications of this and uh, take it further or wider? That's the word that we use next, wider, not further. 
Okay, so let's think about some of the applications of this. Um, so uh, first thing, um, I mean, it's an easy thing to point out, isn't it? Growing churches are messy churches. And if you've got a growing church, you've got a lot of people coming in, all from different cultural backgrounds. And that's what we have here. We've got basically an ethnic divide. Um, and some people look at growing churches uh, with envy uh, and jealousy, uh, thinking it's some, in some way perfect. But uh, it's not, is it, Rob? A growing church is going to be a messy church. Yeah, and we have to just accept that and, and, and roll with that. Now, the, the old expression, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll, you'll mess it up. Now, yeah. people, any, even just the family's messy. You get all different families together. We've got to be gracious. Indeed. Uh, what do you think is another application here? Uh, for me, it's a very basic principle that comes out from Pentecost, come, comes out from the story. Is the key criteria for these seven guys who did a very practical job was they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, on uh, on the sermon, this word paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete, uh, that, you know, whatever task we're called to do for God, we do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's right, isn't it? It is. <laughs> and I think, you know, tied to that as well is just the uh, the importance of signs and wonders. And so uh, we didn't actually uh, touch on it in um, the readings, but when you look later on in chapter six, uh, you know, Stephen has been given this kind of practical task of ensuring that uh, particularly the Hellenistic widows are fed. Um, but what it says is um, in verse eight, yeah, he's a, a man full of God's grace and power, and he did great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. And when opposition arose, uh, it says these men began to argue with him, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. And if you are full of the Holy Spirit, you could be doing the most menial of tasks and still find time to do signs and wonders and share the gospel and all that kind of stuff. Um, that, that is the importance of being filled with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that you have a big role. It simply means that whatever you do, effectively what you were saying on Sunday about you know, the, the kind of the ordinary things, in the ordinary things you can see extraordinary uh, things happen. And I think that's what we see with Stephen. Yeah. I think it's a bit of an issue in the 21st century that, we are, it predates this, where we've brought in rational thought to over Trump's uh, signs and wonders. And if we can't rationalise it and logicalise it all out, logicalise it as a word, you know, whereas the Bible's point of view is it was signs and wonders and then we explain the signs and wonders. And I think the Christian church potentially has gone into a fear situation where we're a bit scared of the signs and wonders, just in case it doesn't work out. So we're living less by faith and more by logic and rational uh, situation. Yeah. And then there's one other point that you wanted to bring up, wasn't there, about, um, uh, you know, the Christians here being blessed, they're seeing growth, but they're actually not really doing what God had told them to do. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, just in the, the, the verse after the story, it says, great persecution broke out and the church was scattered. Now, that verse sounds like a bad verse. It sounds like, oh, that's not good, is it? But 
back in uh, back in Acts chapter one, the church was told to go into all the world and, and the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and and they didn't do it. They stayed nice and cosy, you know, in the harbour, not out in the seas. And it took this great persecution for them to go out. And then guess what? They had the ability, they had the skills, they had the Holy Spirit, and were told they went out preaching the gospel and doing signs and wonders wherever they went. But it took a massive kick up the backside to get them to obey God. And, you know, for us, we just got to learn, we've got to do what we're told to do and not sit nice and cosy in our churches saying, well, this is good. We're getting some success in this if we're not fulfilling the vision we're called to. Exactly. Fantastic. So let's think about some questions for you to discuss in uh, your mission communities and take this further. So, Rob, uh, for questions, do you want to start? What question would you like to ask uh, our viewers today? Yeah. Um, so the overarching theme of the seven was that Stephen was a man who waited on tables. Um, and my question for, for you uh, as individuals to, to discuss is a very practical question. What are the tables that you should be waiting on? That's a metaphoric question. It may not be literal or it may be literal. But what are the tables that you should be waiting on? What, what practically should you be doing in service for God? Yeah, that's good. That's my question. I think I'd add uh, that as well. So uh, we saw before, you know, that when the seven started to serve, uh, the church grew and started to multiply again. Uh, how does service help the church grow? Yeah, if we start serving people, how does it help the church grow? Have you got a second question, Rob? Yeah, uh, there's loads of come up in this passage. There's loads of questions. You can make your own up as well in your groups. But for me, why is it important? Why is it so important that we are filled with the Holy Spirit? It mentions it many times in the story of Stephen. Why is that so important? Yeah. yeah. And it'd be good to relate it to Stephen's story as well as your own and um, just talk that out a little bit. Uh, final question is this. Um, so the church in Jerusalem had people from different backgrounds. Uh, like, like some churches, not every church has that. Uh, we tend to go to churches where there are people like us. Yeah. But the question is this. What is good and what is difficult about a church that, had, that is filled with people from different backgrounds? Yeah. Just talk about that, the kind of the ethnic diversity of all of that and how that both helps and hinders church. Fantastic. Thank you, Rob, for joining me today. Uh, no great problems. talk yesterday. And uh, it's been good to chat today as ever. So uh, that's the end of this one. Uh, do please join us on Sunday for uh, either our online service or in church service. Uh, and join us again next Tuesday for another edition of Deeper. Until then, stay safe and take care. Bye now.